Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Laura Briggs. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 280 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Jennifer Brown about inclusion and diversity. Today's podcast is brought to you by Lex Reception, Text Expander, Back Office Betty's, and LawPay. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So Laura, let's just dive in because today is a, is a hard one. <laughs> I don't think there's any easy way to approach all of the topics that are going on and the fact that today our episode is all about inclusion and diversity. And I feel like as a company, this is something that I feel has always been a core value of lawyerist. And Jennifer and I actually scheduled this interview six weeks ago at the time you're hearing this episode, and it's being released now and it feels very timely in that element. Um, We recorded it last week, right after George Floyd passed away, but kind of before the rioting and other fallout of this happened. And there's just so many issues with this, and it's it's an entangled one, and and we're going to do our best to approach the difficulty of it here. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all we can do. And we were talking about this, and most of our team is is based in Minneapolis, and, and you're in St. Paul. We're all in it as a country, but I appreciate like talking to the team that's in Minneapolis. I think there's a nationwide conversation and processing that's happening as a result of what occurred with George Floyd. And, you know, this isn't the first time that something like this has happened, but it seems to be that this might be the one that captures a, a tremendous amount of attention. And it feels very local and personal to people. And definitely being here in the Twin Cities area, several of our team members are here. This is literally happening in the backyard for a good portion of our team members. And, you know, there's multiple elements to it, kind of processing what happened with the original incident. And then all of the ways that Minneapolis and St. Paul and so many other cities around the country now are also having direct impacts because of people speaking out. And then there's this mix with people who are, you know, taking physical action in addition to speaking out. And I think it's been hard for us as individuals to have to think about how do we process this? How do we think about the fact that this one is very, very close to home? It's been hard for me to separate my feelings about all of these issues in general from the fact that this is such a you know, I guess, ignition point here in the Twin Cities. But I think listening to this podcast episode that's going to follow our conversation here, talking with Jennifer and recording this episode was almost therapeutic for me. And it really challenged me and made me realize that I need to do more as a person and as a professional to educate myself broadly about these issues. And I think we're all struggling right now with what do I say? how do I approach this? Do I say anything at all? And 
this is a really good first step to learning about these issues and thinking about them in a new way. And what I think is really powerful about this interview with Jennifer is that it was loaded with resources and suggestions for action steps. And if your first action step is listening to this episode or listening to one of Jennifer's talks with Google or reading her book, that is a good first action step for you. You don't need to feel like that's too small. It really can be the thing that gets the ball rolling. Yeah. I love that because for me, I mean, I was telling you that I was just, I'm so scared, which isn't, what's the right word? Like I want to have the right message. It's hard. I think it's okay to just acknowledge that this is really hard. I grew up in the South. We all see this every day. I'm thankful. I'm grateful that our country is like responding in such a powerful way right now because it's a conversation that we need to have. And you know, that when I talk to my nine-year-old daughter and I am trying to give her tools and knowledge and not just like, this is what's happening, but Hey, you have an expectation that you have to step up and I have to step up and we have to do these things. Mm -hmm. But then it's hard to know, like, what are those things and what's the right next step or what's a, a step. And so I'm appreciative of your conversation with Jennifer because she was so willing to give us really concrete things we could do as business owners to just take steps. And I think that's the message here is let's just acknowledge this is really hard and we're muddling through as best we can, but we have to keep moving forward and we have to keep making steps and taking action and speaking when we can and just not being afraid. We're going to mess up. We're going to get it right. You know, this intro may not have been the best intro we could have done. Right. (laughs) Let's just say we were a little scared to record. I mean, this is terrifying. Yeah. Our words are going out to so many people and I want them to be powerful and impactful and like the right ones. And I'm just struggling. But, and so if you're feeling like that too, and you're struggling, good, let's struggle. Like, let's not give up. Let's struggle and muddle through, but let's take steps and take action. Absolutely. Let's lean into that discomfort whenever we can. And I think there's a balance of When do I take some type of forward action and is that going out in my community and helping to clean up or am I in a situation right now where I need to listen? And I very much felt like during my interview with Jennifer, I asked her questions, but I listened. That was like, I felt like I am not here to interview this person. I am here to listen and observe and see what I can take from this that's going to help our community, but also that's going to help me as an individual. And so this is a great opportunity to do some of that listening. And I think that really helps in the processing of figuring out, okay, now that I've been listening and I've been reading and I've been thinking about this, where do I go from here in my community and as a greater citizen to contribute towards these difficult conversations, right? I don't think they're ever going to stop being difficult for the foreseeable future. I mean, that's going to be a real challenge for all of us. So we feel that our our community is struggling with this and is processing it in their own way as well. And we hope that this episode is something that helps you Take that step back and get the opportunity to hear from someone who's really an expert in this field and maybe think about this in a new way and work through some of that difficulty and uncertainty for you. Yeah, love that. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Bree Swanson from Lex Reception and then my conversation with Jennifer. Hi, I'm Bree with Lex Reception. I'm the brand leader 
I'm located in beautiful Boise, Idaho, but I'm part of a much larger team here at Lex, and we are distributed throughout the entire U.S. Wonderful. And I know we want to chat a little bit today about how hopefully we're coming around the corner of the pandemic and starting to think about our business in a new way. You know, the pandemic has really highlighted some of the challenges that maybe you had in your office before the pandemic happened. And I think you've even seen that as well at Lex Reception, how people have changed the way they're making business decisions. And and we think we might be on the other side of that curve now. Absolutely. We've been working remotely for over 10 years. So this is definitely something that we have experience with. But as we started to see kind of everything break out, a lot of our clients and the leads we were talking to really pumped the brakes. We were in unchartered, bumpy waters. We didn't know what to do. Quickly though, I think as we all started having a new normal, working from home, having meetings different ways, our clients started to have conversations with us that look different about how can we use some of the other tools or how can we engage your answering service now maybe a different way. We were kind of forced into it for some of us, but we were able to have those type of conversations to talk talk about supporting our customers and our leads really being able to go virtual. I love that. And I think the conversation tide really is turning because you might have pumped the brakes when the pandemic started, but now that we're kind of returning to that new normal, you have to think about what are the software programs and the tools or even the outsourced teams and staff members that I really do need to be successful. So many companies have also had to rethink their tech offerings, right? Like much like a law firm has had to step back and say, okay, I have to reconsider this business model, so too have all the companies that you're doing business with as a law firm owner. So there might be new features, there might be entirely newly developed pieces of technology that you don't even know about. And now seems like a really good time to audit your options. Absolutely. I mean, just having the 24-hour live legal answering service, it provided some comfort where there was a lot of unknowns, staff was going home, staff was no longer there, caseload was changing. We were able to be a constant. Your phones can always be answered by a live professional receptionist still send you those messages. That takes zero overhead. So as we start to round this corner, like you said, where the conversations are now shifting back to, hey, we're going back to the office or, hey, I want to bring on my staff member, but can he or she do their job differently because you've got the phones? It's been really interesting. It's It's been good lately. Um, I love turning this corner. So um, yeah, I'm hopeful. I am too. And it seems like communication is one of those things that has been really important during the pandemic, but is going to continue to be important after the fact, whether your law firm is returning to the office or thinking about the plan for doing that or is staying remote. And so I know that you all have a tool that is free until July 1st for anyone who wants to use it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so our company at the core is a technology company, and we have a lot of services and and products that help streamline firms. One of the things that we were working on um, before the pandemic broke out was teleport. We were very close to pushing it to market, but once everything changed and attorneys were looking at solutions to work from anywhere, we pushed it immediately teleport to market, and we're offering it still free. 
it's a video conferencing tool. What I love the most about it is all it is is a link. I send you a custom link that says teleport.video slash breeze meeting. You join the link. It's secure. You don't download anything. There's no pop-up. So it literally takes two seconds. And you can also record the room if that's something that you need or, you know, your clients need for consultations or what have you. So there's a lot of bells and whistles with it. Wonderful. You can check out that free tool at teleport.video. And Lex Reception has a special offer for our lawyerist insiders in the Affinity Program. You can get $100 off your second month of service with Lex Reception at lexreception.com slash podcast. Thanks, Bree. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jennifer Brown. I am an author on inclusive leadership. I have two books out, the latest of which is How to Be an Inclusive Leader. And I am the CEO and founder of a consulting company that helps uh, organizations build their diversity strategy and training. And I am also a podcaster, and my podcast is called The Will to Change. I love it. I've had a chance to interact with quite a bit of your thought leadership that's out there. And these are such important issues that we need to be talking about. And I feel like that's one of the challenges for a lot of different companies is, you know, how do we bring this into the fold and be mindful of the fact that inclusion and diversity should be part of the conversation in the way that we grow our business and build our team. But a lot of people probably get stuck at that starting point. So what would you say is sort of the the beginning point for thinking about inclusion and diversity in a mindful and respective way? Yes. Thank you for asking that because it is a journey. It's not a destination. And in fact, we can never reach the destination because the uh, goalposts are always moving, (laughs) which I find really exciting and interesting. You know, there's always more to learn and there's always evolution happening when it comes to D, E, and I, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. I would say that what's most important is to know where you are and where you aren't and do an honest assessment of yourself and how comfortable and familiar are you and how deep is your knowledge about the dynamics of diversity and inclusion or exclusion and belonging and equity to certain communities of identity? And so depending on who you are, starting with me, my my identity, my lived experience, the kind of family I was born into, my ethnicity, my sexual orientation, gender identity, unpacking that and looking at both the levels of stigma that maybe some of your identity carries. And then also, um, if that doesn't feel relevant to you, the level of uh, privilege you have that you can be utilizing to try to start to level that playing field that we know is not level. And so um, some of us are really clueless. Some of us are apathetic. Some of us are hesitating because we don't want to make any mistakes and we're being perfectionists about being supportive of others. Some of us are hesitating to talk about all of what's going on for us because we fear that who we are is going to trigger stereotypes and hurt our damage our career choices and chances and also our relationships in the working world. So a lot of us are constantly calibrating all of that. And so when we kind of breezily say, you know, bring your full self to work, and that's such a slogan that's really popular these days, it's much harder for some of us to do that than others. And it comes with more risk. So it's incumbent on all of us to kind of say to ourselves, 
do I even know what Jennifer's talking about? <laughs> Number one. Right. And if you don't, uh, then it's really time to, I think, jump onto what I call the inclusive leader journey, meaning that you need to move from unaware that anything is going on or that anything is a problem or that we're not working in a meritocracy or that everybody has a fair shot. You know, once you realize that uh, you wake up to that, then you become aware. And then with that awareness, you become active and active means using your voice, challenging things, sharing educational information, trying to speak truth and have difficult conversations. And then finally, uh, the fourth stage in the continuum in the new book is advocate. And that level is phase four. It's very, you know, that that is a phase where, you know, you'll see people that have been at this for a long time fearlessly, courageously challenging the way we've always done things, um, not accepting certain answers, um, seeking the truth, but also looking for systems change too, not just sort of change at the individual level. So we are all somewhere on this journey and we're probably multiple places on it because, you know, we might know a lot about an identity that we hold and that identity may be um, a stigmatized or marginalized or underrepresented identity. But that doesn't mean that we understand all the things we need to understand about others and their experience. So for me, just as an example, I'm LGBTQ plus white woman, cisgender white woman. And so my work can be around understanding the non-white experience. It can be around understanding gender non-binary individuals and how I can be a better ally as a cisgender woman. It can be even allying, I feel like, to my male colleagues who are on their journey and trying really hard, you know, I see my role as supporting them as well. So I live on the bridge. I always think I'm a bridge dweller and I'm always trying to make that bridge passage safe for everyone and actually inviting for everyone so that we can kind of come together, understand each other's experience, build our empathy, and then ideally be a voice alongside each other for the voices that aren't really traditionally seen and heard and that need to be seen and heard. Those are all really excellent points. And I think from the perspective of a lot of our listeners who are small law firm owners, there's two ways that these kinds of issues are going to be present in their ongoing life and in the growth of their business. And it's in how they choose to build their own team, but also in the way that they attract clients and provide services to clients as well. And so I think a lot of us are willing to say, hey, I don't know what I don't know. And so how do you take that temperature of your current team or your current work environment to get a sense of really where you're at and what is the true starting point. I, I know in the book, one of the things that you mentioned is that a lot of people who come forward, whether it's quietly or in a more open way to talk about these challenges, it's this death by a thousand cuts mentality of there's daily behaviors and comments and things that are happening that we might not be able to see the forest for the trees in those situations. So how do we figure out where we're at as a starting point, especially as a business owner and as a leader of a team. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, what you do really matters when you have those positions. All eyes are on you. And often the leaders of teams aren't diverse owned firms, right? So, I mean, we look at corporate America and we see mainly white straight men or what appear to be white straight men at the top of the masthead. And so those folks I worry about in terms of them being able to not necessarily relate to the experience of others, but to build empathy for it and understanding for it, and then to become an advocate. Like that's a long journey because you just don't have that direct experience. So if that describes you and you're the head of a firm, you're going to have a longer road. 
um, doesn't mean you can't travel that road. And it doesn't mean that you can afford not to travel that road. (laughs) But you've got to really be very intentional about the exposure you're getting to difference, the conversations you're tuning into, the media you watch, the podcasts you listen to, the virtual conferences you go to, the trade associations that you go to as a listener. Like um, in the LGBTQ community, there's a group called Legal right? The Gay Lawyers Association. If you're interested in what is important to that community, you sign up for that newsletter. You go, you listen, you network, (laughs) you say, how might I be the kind of firm where this talented person would come and feel they could do their best work and that we aren't blind to difference. We're not going to be one of those firms that says, well, we don't see difference. We don't see color. That's, I mean, if I could just give one pro tip, like never say that, (laughs) (laughs) just trust me on that. Um, it, because it feels like erasure of very real and very different experiences that some individuals have had. Um, and this is very true and widespread in the legal field, just like any field, but every field has its challenges. There isn't a single one I have found uh, that doesn't. So if you don't think you have any challenges, you probably do, is I guess what I'm saying. And you have to be more overtly like welcoming and seeking around diversity on your teams. As you hire, what pools of talent are you looking in? You know, Do you have the common tendency to hire with what you're most comfortable with? form the schools that you always get good people from, you know, or people that look like you or people that share certain recreational habits or family or friends or, you know, it goes on and on. But I think we have that tendency. And so if you truly want to, and you know, you need to set your compass on the right direction from the beginning, which is critical for small firms, because small firms become tomorrow's medium firms. And the initial group of people that you bring and you attract and that you keep, by the way, because you can't just attract them, you have to keep them, is going to send a message about what kind of people work for this firm. And for that young recruit, they're going to be looking around and saying, hmm, I love this firm and what they're about, but I don't see any representation of someone that looks like me. And even if I do see that, I'm not hearing them talk about valuing inclusion as a core value. So, you know, demographics and representation is hard to solve for because you can't just hire for diversity only, you know, and nobody's ever suggesting that. And that takes time. A lot of people in my world are flipping inclusion and diversity and putting the I first. And the reason they're doing that is that there's a realization now that inclusion speaks to the environment into which people are coming. Um, And we need to prepare the environment and ensure that it's one where diverse talent can come into and thrive and not the other way around. You know, paying attention to not just representation and demographics in your firm, but the climate in which people do their work. And um, in many ways, inclusion is the harder thing because it's difficult to measure. Uh, Sometimes it's difficult to see, you know, it's difficult to hold in your hands. And so there are a lot of small things, you know, big things, public things, private things, one-on-one things, org-wide things that you have to be thinking about as that leader that's kind of taking a very sober look at your organization. Um, You have to collect data if you can. (laughs) And it's hard if you're a firm of three people, this is hard. But, you know, how can you have the diversity and inclusion conversation regularly talking about where are we looking for talent? How are we recruiting that talent? If we are all white and all male, um, or we are maybe all female, I don't know, you know, and your diversity issue is bringing more male uh, lawyers into the firm. It could be any of these things, but is it sort of a regular part of your management conversations or your team conversations to say, 
and hold yourself accountable and set goals for this. And don't be afraid of talking about it in the marketplace as something that's important to you because talent is looking for that. And that's a signal to many people that may just make the assumption they won't be comfortable in your firm and therefore not even really dance with you, which is not what you want. But also, by the way, clients are really looking for it. Service providers like law firms are getting held accountable more and more by clients who are coming to the table and saying, okay, we're uncomfortable giving you our business or renewing our business with you when you know we don't see any diversity on your team or when we don't hear you talk about how that's important to you. So that is happening. And uh, I'm sure your listeners know, and maybe that's even happened to some folks that are listening in, but get ahead of that. You know, do your work. Even if you do not have everything figured out, it's impossible to have everything figured out. It's very important that you have a story to tell that is full of steps that you've taken on the road. It's not about being able to wrap it up in a nice little bow and say, well, we've checked that box it's a journey and talk about your journey. And that I think goes a long way. It sounds like it's that same concept of deciding what circles you're going to be putting yourself in and how you can kind of broaden your own horizons. Because I imagine that both on the client side and within the office, as far as who you're hiring, it's not enough to say, hey, we're open to a slate of diverse candidates, but none of them are applying. I mean, that's not the end (laughs) of the conversation, right? Or we're open to working with clients from all different kinds of backgrounds, but they're not calling our law firm. You really have to take that step back to make it those ongoing conversations and say, how can we continue to be proactive? Are we talking about this enough? Are we thinking about this in the right way? And I I think this gets to this idea of where I kind of want to go next is a lot of this has to do with the organizational hierarchies staying the same for many, many decades. But especially in the workplace, it's becoming more and more about the individual. So we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we will be talking more about that. Part of building a successful practice is finding the right payment partner. It's important to work with a processor that understands the complex rules for legal payments. LawPay is the only payment solution that ensures trust account compliance for both credit card and e-check transactions. Trust the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program and all 50 state bars, LawPay. To learn more or to get started, visit lawpay.com lawyerist today. Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Betty's, the only virtual receptionist service exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers a plan with unlimited calls. Their highly specialized service boasts customized call handling, relentlessly friendly team members, and unmatched quality. The Bettys are ready to help you grow your firm, even when you're out of the office. Visit www.backofficebettys.com lawyerist to try them out for one week free. Use promo code podcast to receive $150 off your first month. Typing the same thing like your email address or phone number over and over is a productivity killer. Turn everything you need to type more than once into a snippet with Text Expander. Type an abbreviation you make, and your snippet automatically expands. TextExpander works everywhere you type and helps you reduce errors and increase productivity. TextExpander is also available for companies, so you can share snippets with everyone on your team. TextExpander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, iPad, and Chrome. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit TextExpander.com podcast to learn more about TextExpander. Okay, we're back. So I want to talk a little bit more about how you can create this ecosystem within your workplace where you're working to bring in diverse team members, you're working to keep that be an inclusive culture, but also involving the team in those conversations about how you can be forward thinking with clients. So 
Can you talk a little bit more about being mindful of the actions and the inactions that we take and kind of what today's employees are looking for and where we have to kind of check ourselves and and think about these important issues? Yeah, we do. I mean, the demographic changes that are on their way and being wrought by uh, millennials and Generation Z, the oldest of whom is 24, the values of those generations are that inclusion and diversity are cable stakes. They also value a lot more, more overtly all parts of themselves. And so when we say bring your full self to work, that may be the generation that says back, what do you mean? Like, why do we even need to talk about this? So they are a generation that's really bringing a lot of positive change, I think, and accountability to the organization to say, you know, I don't want to work for an organization that doesn't mirror my values or values all of who I am and a place where I might cover parts of my identity, which means covering is downplaying a known stigmatized identity. And there's a lot of research on how many of us cover aspects of who we are, anticipating that it may trigger, you know, bias, stereotypes, microaggressions, et cetera. And so you want a workplace where people feel they can bring their full selves to work or whole selves or best selves. You know, we can substitute some words there, but, but what does that really look like for people? And I think the pandemic has actually created a really interesting opportunity for more of this because we've gained some barriers in terms of how close we are to each other. But I think some barriers have dropped as well, where we're in each other's lives, whether we like it or not to a greater extent. And, you know, maybe we were closeted, for example, before or partially closeted and covering. Um, but if your same sex partner is walking around behind you because you're both at home and you're having calls with clients, you know, how is that going to go? So I, I think a lot of us are maybe being forced to divulge some things that we kept very private because we were afraid of stigma. Um, and I think that although painful and rather maybe unfair, we are being thrust into needing to trust each other more with our truths. And that's an acceleration, I think. From where I sit, I am grateful for that. Um, it's less risky at work from where I sit to share more of my life because I've been working from home for 10 years. I have a a very quiet space in which to focus. I'm not homeschooling small children, you know, so my performance and my creativity and ability to focus has actually really accelerated during this time. But I know that I'm rather unique in that. So I do think that there's an opportunity for deeper relationships to be built right now based on seeing more of who we are and showing more of who we are, which is the baseline for great work and great collaboration, right? I mean, we've always known that. So I think dropping our guard, not being able to sort of maintain a facade that we might have been able to maintain in the physical workplace, but then also being really vulnerable with each other, which is also so important right now to say, like, how is your heart today? You know, how are you really feeling? Like checking in the empathy, the vulnerability, the transparency um, is so critical. So I would really give that advice to any leader and even any colleague. You don't have to have the stripes in the room to be supportive but also know that this is a diversity moment for a lot of people. Having to share more of who we are um, is a big deal for some of us. And if it's not a big adjustment for you, then that's an opportunity to say, wow, it is a level of privilege that this new way of working hasn't felt very uncomfortable for me. But acknowledging that it might feel uncomfortable for others is that one of those first steps that you should be taking on the inclusive leader journey. You should be acknowledging that not everybody's having the same experience as you are. It's the difference between the golden rule and the platinum rule. Golden rule is doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that used to be the way we led, the way we are good humans. 
but platinum is doing it to others as they would have you do unto them. And it's other focused leadership. And that's where we've got to get to on a lot of levels, not just diversity and inclusion. We have to take each person as they are and meet them and support and adjust and flex around what, you know, their productivity looks like right now and still somehow get output, of course, as a team. But, you know, this is really testing, I think, a lot of our assumptions about high performers and um, for whom work is easier or harder. Maybe we're learning about mental health issues on our teams. Um, We're learning a lot about how things in the news, for example, this week in late May, there's been so many stories of violence and racism in the news. And I think, at least in my world, everybody's grappling with that. And some people are taking mental health days because they literally cannot be productive and they know that they can't be productive. And it's an example Again, of the kinds of things that perhaps white America, if I can put a fine point on it, doesn't know about, doesn't pay attention to, and doesn't think it has to anything to do with work. And I'm here to say that that's not true. And so we've got to get better and more comfortable bringing things up, raising things, naming things, indicating solidarity, and committing to seeing the whole person that we're working with. This, I think, is something we've all wanted for a really long time, you know, sort of see all of me, hear all of me, you know, take all of me into account, you know, and don't kind of gloss over what might be happening for me that really hurts my productivity, whether it's being in the closet, you know, 50% of LGBTQ people are closeted in the workplace, five zero. So that was last year's statistic. So that's a lot of energy that people are putting towards downplaying their truth. And I would argue, though, that covering in that way prevails across so many people. And if you can't relate to that, you probably can relate to that on some level. But if you can't relate to that, then you have a really wonderful opportunity of allyship. You have a great opportunity to learn who's doing this and why, and what can I do as a leader to lessen people's perceived or real need to downplay or minimize parts of who they are that are very important to who they are. Like, that's your work. So whether that's conversations, whether that's, you know, let's read books, let's have a book club together and let's talk about it and choosing books on these topics, whether it's being vulnerable about your own journey and what you're learning and the mistakes you make and the language that you misuse, it doesn't need to be perfect, but the effort needs to be there. And I think that's my best advice that I can give. Yeah, that effort seems like the beginning point to all of this is just being more aware of the things that we might not even realize or that we're kind of just taking for granted as a regular part of the workday and how it might affect other people differently. And I think one of the things that I've seen in the pandemic is you do have the opportunity to be more real with your coworkers, with your employees, even with your clients as a law firm, because now they're not coming into your office and sitting down in your conference room that's been very purposeful decorated, you're live streaming over (laughs) Zoom into their living room to talk about estate planning and divorce and these issues that are very highly personal. And so it's important to think about that and figure out where your starting point is. So I'm curious, you know, you talked a lot about covering. How do we build credibility, both in terms of attracting employees and clients and figuring out what this looks like as an ongoing conversation in our business? How do we do that in a credibility building way? rather than, you know, I think there's a fear out there of, well, I don't just want to be checking off a box and say, okay, well, I've thought about it. You know, we posted our job opportunity (laughs) in places where more diverse talent may be attracted. How do you kind of pick up the baton from there and 
build that in a credible way so people feel authentically connected to you and your business? Exactly. Such a good question. Um, It's not a checking the box kind of exercise and it's not a one and done. (laughs) It needs to be kind of a drip approach, if you will. I think Um, when you're dealing with clients, you know, anywhere they look, I feel like whether it's your website, whether it's the storytelling that you engage in as you're kind of warming up a conversation, whether it's not even talking about the task at hand, but perhaps just acknowledging say you're pitching a a larger firm, you know, you might ask, you know, how are employees responding or how are your associates responding to some of the social issues that are happening? You know, what kinds of conversations are bubbling up? Um, In the bigger firm world and in the corporate world that I serve, there are things called affinity groups. If there aren't affinity groups, which is like the Black Employee Network, the LGBTQ Network, the Women's Network, there's usually some kind of diversity committee that's in place, right? Even in smaller organizations, there's usually a conversation that's going on. And maybe the opportunity to connect is to say, we're having this conversation. We wonder if you're having it too. Is there a way that we might do this together? You know, I know a lot of, a lot of small businesses and service firms um, sometimes band together and share resources to create programming or webinars on certain topics. Maybe you can learn together. Maybe you can benchmark yourselves against each other. You know, we are, we're always in ecosystems. And I think it's important to understand if you're a firm of one or two or three, you're probably in a larger ecosystem that you can tap into for your own learning. And so I do think if you get blank stares on the other side of Zoom when you bring this up, that's good to know. And who knows, maybe you can be in a teaching role for your client, you know? I can tell you that if the client's nowhere on their journey, they are probably, I I mean, I scarcely have met an organization that's not concerned about falling behind on this topic. So I think you may be surprised if you broach the topic, and then maybe you're transparent about your journey, your questions, things you're worried about not doing well or not having the competency in, and you can go down that road together and brainstorm. I mean, what a great opportunity to connect more deeply and to deepen that relationship with someone you want to do business with or you are doing business with. So there's that sort of co-conspiring, if you will, deciding to learn together, um, encouraging others to kind of up their game because you're upping yours. I can tell you there are very advanced conversations happening amongst the big firms. The big firms are very forward on this. They've got chief diversity officers. They've got entire diversity teams, all the affinity groups, and they are um, some of my clients. I wouldn't ever call the legal profession on the cutting edge of this stuff, but I would say that the big firms are doing their work and wrestling with a lot of this stuff. So also for your education, uh, make sure you're going to those webinars, make sure you're networking with those diversity teams to say, I just want to hear what they're working on. I want to hear how they're attracting and retaining associates of color or other diversity dimensions. And then I want to hear how they're using this as a differentiator with clients. And then just kind of shrink that down and think about, well, what's possible for us, like within our sphere of influence, within our, you know, resource allocations. You know, I do think this is not work you need to do alone. You never need to feel that you're isolated and you're certainly not writing the playbook for the first time. It is a matter of finding the right partners to travel the journey together in your field. And I would also orient yourself around leading lawyer voices, diverse voices in the legal field, and bringing those people in as a guest speaker. Maybe that person would do 
uh, a webinar presentation on this topic that we're talking about today, Laura, that would come in and people are very available right now. It's interesting. I can get on people's calendars that I've never uh, been able to and vice versa. I'm, I'm kind of letting everybody on my calendar now because you know, my time has changed so much. And so you may find that people will make time for you and people who you're reading about in your lawyer magazine or people that are getting awards, firms that are getting awards, you know, those are the people you should be benchmarking with. And, and believe me, if you do some of this, you will come away with so many ideas. The challenge, honestly, will really be prioritization of those and figuring out where you want to start. Um, and then just working the plan, you know, holding ourselves accountable. Once you have your strategy, checking in on it and holding ourselves accountable. And if something doesn't work, trying something new and not being frustrated or feeling like nothing's working. We just, you know, we did what we could. And then, you know, I think that's what you're referring to, Laura, sort of <laughs> a, well, we put the advertisement out and nobody showed up that was a diverse candidate. So I guess we did what we could do. That's never enough. And the candidates are out there. You know, I, I think the failure is on our part and in our networks, really, because they're very, our networks are homogeneous. They are informed by the schools we went to. They're informed by the communities we live nearby, our places of worship, our school boards and the parents there. You know, if you think about it, most of us exist in this very homogeneous place. And I think that's where we've got to make the change and push into and be very intentional because otherwise we aren't going to know where this talent is because um, we've got to reach outside our worlds to find it. Job descriptions can be notoriously biased in their language. And so there's a company called Textio, T-E-X-T-I-O, that has a free version, I believe, that goes through job descriptions and degenders them. And so I would really recommend looking into some of the tech tools that help you kind of manage your own biases in your writing that you may not even be aware that you have. And this is part of your learning, right? To understand that bias is literally everywhere. doesn't matter if you're a well-meaning person. doesn't matter that you're nice and you, you, know, you, you, you think you get it. It's everywhere. Mistakes are committed by all of us every single day in places that you'd be very shocked about. So the more tools you can arm yourself with to ferret that out and catch yourself in the act and then fix and learn in the process, um, those tools are out there. So I'd start with Textio, learn what it does, and then there's a whole host of other things that you should probably uh, avail yourself of. Those are such great ideas. And I love this concept that this is not something you have to do alone, but it does start with you as an individual. And I think we're at a point in our culture that I'm hopeful will continue after the pandemic of a greater sense of honesty. One of the things I've noticed is in getting on meetings, you know, in the past, you'd always kick off a phone call or a video conference with how are you? And it's just a gut instinct reaction to say, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm great. Yes. We never even think about it. And that has changed in the pandemic. You have people saying, how are you doing in these crazy times? And they're honest. They're saying, you know what? My kids are running around in the background. I'm really stressed <laughs> out. You know, it's been difficult working from home. You know, uh, my mm -hmm. husband is a physician that's working in this. And so I always kind of turn to that experience as well. So what I think is potentially challenging for individuals, though, is that some people are more comfortable leaning into that resistance of discovering their own bias than others. So can you give some advice for people who may be concerned about what they might discover as far as potential biases they didn't realize they had or ways that they've unconsciously been putting it out there that maybe they aren't the most diverse and welcoming place to work? <laughs> it's a really hard moment for many people to learn that, and particularly in larger organizations, when you can do focus groups and you can collect data, 
And then what I do often is do focus groups by identity and then ask the same questions about, do you feel you have adequate access to resources and promotion and advancement opportunities? And do you feel welcomed here to do your best work? And, you know, you ask these questions and then you can, of course, see the differences in the data. And then you go in and you present it to the senior executive team and they're horrified and ashamed and like genuinely surprised, I think. More often than not, the danger of being a well-intentioned person is that it papers over the work that you really need to do to yourself. Like, believing that I am well-intended and that is enough. And you know, intent versus impact, right? Classic management concept. It doesn't matter what your intent is. And also in relationships, by the way, (laughs) I think we've probably all learned that. (laughs) Uh, It is the impact that it's had on others that matters. It's not the intent. Once we know the impact, then we adjust our actions, right? So it does start with the intent, but that is just merely the first step. So I think that when you're a small organization, it is really difficult to do this besides having kind of one-on-one conversations with five people, say, and say, you know, so honestly, like, how does it feel to work here? What was the recruitment process like? Do you think all kinds of talent could thrive here? Why or why not? Where do you think we can improve in terms of sending an actual authentic message to the marketplace, you know, that resonates. Could you canvas your clients and maybe involve them in the messaging that you are creating to say, you know, we are, we're on this journey. We hear some work that we're doing and, you know, does it resonate? Um, And, you know, your clients may be just as homogeneous as you, and it may not be helpful, (laughs) but there are some allies, right? There are, and I know many of them in each organization, there's somebody who is, you know, white and straight and cisgender and male. Usually there's someone in that crew that has, you know, a mixed race family, somebody who has an adopted kid, somebody who has, is living with a disability, somebody who's LGBTQ, but you may not know it. Somebody who has a trans kid that just came out to them, like this is happening. So even though you may look at a client's roster and say, well, they're not going to be helpful because look at them. (laughs) That's also never exactly true. And so I do think that, you know, we can't make those kinds of assumptions either about the invisible aspects of diversity that are going on for people. Um, And that's true in our own organizations too. You know, there are things maybe you've never asked the right question. And then if you did, you would get a lot of really good and useful information, right? From people that you work very closely with who are covering even around you. So there's a lot to explore there. And I think um, asking the questions around where have our communications been could be viewed as biased. Um, Do we know how our messaging is being perceived? And I, I think that it starts with that question. And then if you don't know where to go to get that kind of feedback, that's the work. I think, in terms of, you know, convening, perhaps it's the younger generation that you're trying to recruit, you know, perhaps you can dive into law school conversations, you know, to understand what's on the hearts and minds of young associates coming out of school. I can tell you that schools and school conversations are full of this stuff. I mean, there are very progressive conversations about all this stuff happening, I know, in business school, for example. And then a lot of those young people come out and get into corporate roles and they start to cover aspects of their identity because they pick up on the fact that the employer they work for is not supportive or they don't see anyone around them that looks like them or that they think shares their story. And so they kind of go back in the proverbial closet, right? Closet more broadly defined. 
So I would engage as much as you possibly can with young people because their wisdom, their knowledge is something you really need as you build anything. I mean, anything. Um, Millennial viewpoints, Generation Z viewpoints. If you have no idea, read about the generations, know this stuff because it's so, so relevant. And sort of by proxy, you will learn inclusion and diversity tips and tricks and language and things that you should say and things that you shouldn't say. And I think that Older generations are, and fairly so, I think rather clueless because we just didn't grow up at a time when this stuff was part of the lexicon. Um, And so I teach a lot of the older generations and literally I'll say, my name is Jennifer Brown and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And then I'll look out at the sea of 600 people and I'll say, how many of you know what I just said and why it's important? You know, and I will see like no hands. And, and if you're listening to this and you're like, what is Jennifer talking about? Like, that's a, that's a great jumping off point. Google, like, why are pronouns important? What does it mean? How do I use them in a meeting? You know, what does that signify? What's the power of sharing this and having a culture where it feels comfortable for people to share their pronouns? And that's a little piece of knowledge that I feel like you could kind of get under your belt in five minutes. But the harder part, of course, is using it in a sentence, so to speak, um, and really bringing that out, practicing it, getting comfortable with it, seeing the reaction that people have, educating about it, and hopefully someday becoming an advocate for inclusion of all gender identities. And that's just one of many identities that you've got to learn something about and you've got to start kind of flexing your muscle in all of these spaces. So I know it sounds overwhelming. But it literally, this is arming you to be a better leader, not just now, but particularly in the future as your talent demographic changes, as your client demographic changes, you've got to be on board with this stuff and not just kind of awkwardly stumbling through it, but very comfortably mastering it and embodying it as a leader. This is all such great information. And it goes back to that idea of the jumping off point, right? Because if we want to build that authentic workplace or that business where clients feel comfortable, it's asking these questions, it's doing the engagement, it's having the conversations on a regular basis. And I feel like you've left all of us with so much homework to go forward with because we're all thrilled that you're listening to the Lawyerist podcast right now, but who else can you be listening to? What other books can you be reading? What other voices are you maybe not hearing from on an ongoing basis that should kind of be built into that repertoire? So I know I have a lot on my to-do list and a lot of learning that I can do from here. And Jennifer, I just want to thank you so much. This has been an incredible episode and I expect it's one we'll return to again and again. And I just thank you for your time. Thank you, Laura. I really appreciate it. And um, thanks to all your listeners for taking on this work. It's very needed. The Lawyers Podcast is produced by Laura Briggs and edited by Christopher Ng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Well, here are your first two steps. If you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free right now at lawyers.com book. Next, if you're looking for help beyond the book, then let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyers.com slash community to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Oh, 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 oh